Greetings to all of God's people. This is Mordecai Joseph, who are nine lessons 67. And last time we finished chapter uh, 13 of Zechariah. Now we are in chapter 14. And we continue with the same story of God's deliverance to his people Israel. He had never forsaken his own people, his own church, his own wife, which is in total contrast to what has been taught in the last 2,000 years. And many of God's people have been deceived by that. And to this very day, the overwhelming majority of them believe in the deception and the lie that has been taught by the counterfeit church 2,000 years ago, at least beginning around that time. And as time went by, that became truth to the so-called world of Christianity. And those who came out of it uh, did not know the difference because they have not done their homework properly, going through the word of God from the beginning until the end to prove all things. And this matter has not been uh, taken into consideration to prove all things. And uh, there were many contentions and scriptures were thrown into it and uh, partial understanding and people never came up with the real uh, truth of it. God made it very plain. We read in all the prophets, and all of them made it very plain, and all these prophets were inspired by Jesus Christ himself, the God of Israel, the husband of Israel, who spoke to them, who is going to come back, as we are going to read now in chapter 14 of Zechariah, to finish the story, and to bring an end to the deception of the Babylonish religion, the world of Christianity, this is what Babylon is all about, mainly speaking about that and all the other offshoots uh, that came from it as time went by in the past uh, uh, basically uh, 4,500 years after the flood. And uh, in Jeremiah, let me just uh, bring something else that I didn't bring it earlier when I went through it in Jeremiah chapter 50. Chapter 50, God tells us in verse uh, 4, in those days and in that time, says the Eternal, this is Jesus Christ speaking, the God of Israel, the children of Israel shall come, they and the children of Judah together. These are the two divisions of the northern kingdom that went into captivity by Assyria and then later on the southern kingdom that went into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar. And the two never reunited since that time. Now, this is talking about, uh, about 27 roughly 27, 2800 years split that happened long ago and the unity never occurred and many of them lived side by side not knowing who is who and they are going to know it because the truth is going to be revealed to all the children of Israel that they are all one people, one nation, they have one God, one religion and they are all the church of God, the only church of God, the true church of God some of them have been called, as time went by, especially in the last 2,000 years, uh, to the knowledge of uh, the truth, of their Savior, of their plan of salvation, in a greater detail, now that they had no knowledge of it before, and their eyes were opened, and the Spirit of God was given to them, and they became followers of Christ. But they still didn't know that they are members of the same wife, the same Church of God, because of the life they have swallowed also, unfortunately, that came from the counterfeit church. So at this time, they are fully aware of who they are, that they are truly the wife of God, the wife that is going to be married soon, and the people of God, the church of God, the true people of God, the inheritance of God, and so they are going to come together. And so this is what we read here. In those days and at that time, says the Eternal, the children of Israel 
shall come, they and the children of Judah together, with continual weeping, they shall come. They are going to weep for their sins and iniquities, for what came upon them, for the punishment. They are going to weep for the evil that they have committed against each other, and the, and the hurts, and all those things. There are going to be many reasons for them to weep. And they are going to come to God. No more stiff upper lip Ephraimites, you know, the head of the northern kingdom, and no more the rebellion on the part of, uh, of the house of Judah, where the majority of them uh, are not even religious, and all the rest of them, as religious as they may be, they have rejected their Savior, the Maker, the Creator, the Husband, the One who became the anointed Savior, and has always been that way, but revealed Himself in the flesh, lived among them, and He was rejected by them. So they're going to have an awful lot of reasons to weep for. And it says, they're going to come with, with continual weeping. They shall come and seek the eternal, their God. And that's the Savior, the Redeemer, the Messiah. And they shall ask the way to Zion. You see, there is a way to Zion. That's a way of righteousness. That's a religion of God. That's what it means, the way to Zion. Not that they don't know, you know, which direction Zion is. Speaking spiritually, the way to Zion is the way of truth and of righteousness, not all the ways that they walked in. And with their faces toward it, saying, Come and let us join ourselves to the Eternal. The same God, the same Lord, the same doctrine, the same religion. And so they will say, Come, let us join ourselves to the Eternal in a perpetual covenant that will not be forgotten and no more going to depart from it. Because God is going to grant them repentance. That's the reason why they would say that. Verse 6, My people, God is saying, have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray. Both the rabbis, and the Jewish community, and the ministers and the pastors, or the children of Israel, the cardinals, whatever religion they were in, either Protestants or Catholics, and all the offshoots of that. All of them led them astray. They have turned them away on the mountains. They have gone from mountain to hill. They went all over the, the world, so to speak, looking for religions. And nowadays, in the last uh, few decades, it became fashionable for many of the children of Israel to go into uh, strange religions. Some of them go to uh, the gurus in India and go here and go there and come up with their own new religions. And that's the result of what the shepherds have done to them, the shepherds of Israel. And so, it says they have gone to, from mountain to hill, and they have forgotten the resting place. And the resting place is God, and His truth, and His Torah, and His religion, and the Savior, and the Maker, and the Ruler. That's the resting place. And so God is going to deliver them, because He's never going to forget them. He's, going, he's never going to, to abandon them. As we read in uh, Psalm 94 and verse 14. For the eternal will not, will not, no matter what lies they have been taught. You know, the false shepherds of Israel on both sides of two kingdoms told them that if you do not walk with God, you're all going to hell. They lied to them. And so God said very plainly, verse 14, for the eternal will not cast off his people, nor will he forsake his inheritance. Because these are his people, 
And that's his inheritance. And he's not going to do it. And the rabbis lied to them. And the ministers of Israel lied to them. And so the majority of the children of Israel are not even religious because they just got fed up with all these lies. And they found no meaning in that religion. And now God is going to come and he's going to take his sheep back. He is the great shepherd. And he's going to bring them back to himself. And he's going to atone for their sins, cleanse them, purge them, purify them. And he's going to do as he said, I will build my church because the shepherds of Israel have scattered them and made them, you know, uh, send them in all directions and they became a ruin. And that's the reason Christ said, you know, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my wife, Israel. He came to his own. That's the people he's talking about. But the unlearned came and twisted everything to their own destruction. And people followed in those lies. And that's why God says, come out of Babylon because you are drinking of the wrath of the wine of the wrath of the fornications of the great whore. And the harlots have to come out of it. And God is going to bring them deliverance. So here we are getting to a closure in essence at least in terms of the Hebrew Scriptures, and the coming of the Messiah, the deliverer of Israel, is going to put an end to all of that. And so we read in in Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 1. Behold, the day of the Eternal is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst, speaking about Jerusalem, because all the nations of the earth are going to gather against her, but also because of the punishment God is going to bring on his people Judah. The last punishment, because the majority of them are rebellious. Verse 2, for I will gather. God is going the one to be the one behind it. There is no conspiracy here. The people who are looking for conspiracies are the people who do not know the word of God as they should. And their faith is not in God, and their obedience is not in God, but in their own, uh, their own uh, fabrications, their own ideas. They don't understand the very plain consequences that God told us about. You obey my voice and commandments, I'm going to give you peace. And even favor in the sight of the enemies. But if you don't, all those things will come upon you. So instead of looking at all those things and coming to repentance and walking with God, they're looking for conspiracies and taking arms and trying to defend themselves. And so in verse 2 we read, What God is saying, for I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, because God is going to do it. The houses rifled, in other words, plundered, and the women ravished. That's unfortunately what people do in war. And God is going to allow all that, because of the evil of his people. And half the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off. From the city. A lot of them who are, you know, whatever, uh, misunderstanding they have of the, of the word of God and not knowledge of the, of the Savior and all that, still they're trying to walk in righteousness and they're obedient to God and they keep the Sabbath and the holy days and uh, the laws of God to the degree they understand. And of course, because of the confusion that entered into the religion by the rabbis, they're doing that too. But then, uh, they're not too responsible for it because, you know, they, they think, well, that's from God too. But at least they're devout and they're honest and sincere. And so God is going to preserve uh, those who call upon his name. And he's going to open their eyes to see. As for the rest, 
of the people. Uh, and mind you, in Jerusalem, it's one city today, so you have an awful lot of uh, non-Israelites, non-Jews there in the city. So we're going to find out exactly what this story means here when it happens. Who are the ones who are going to go into captivity? And there will be both, of the Israeli today and those who are not. One half of it is going to be cut off and one half will remain. Then the eternal, verse 3, will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. Now it's going to be the God of war, not the God of peace. And in that day, his feet, speaking about the eternal, will stand on the Mount of Olives. And that's a promise that he gave to his people. He's coming. Only they did not understand that the first time he's coming as a humble person to atone for their sins. And so he was riding on a, on a, on a, on a colt at that time. Uh, he rode to Jerusalem to give his life for them, for his wife. But this time he's coming to the, the conqueror. And this is the only understanding that Jews unfortunately have as their Messiah coming as a conqueror, but in their own mind, not understanding who the Messiah is, the thing is a human being, because he's called the son of David, and not believing the prophecies in their own prophets, they don't know that God was going to be born in the flesh, that is the one that he sent from the Father, who is also God, and he's going to become a human being, so he can atone for their sins, and so that's why he's called the son of David, because he descended from David through his mother. And so, in verse 4, this is what we read. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move to the north, and half to the south. There's going to be a big earthquake. And then you shall flee through my mountain, that is the mountain of God, and the mountain valley, for the mountain... Valley shall reach to Azal, that's the name uh, uh, of a place near Jerusalem. Yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, the king of Judah, where there was a great earthquake there at the time. And then we read, Thus the eternal, my God, will come, and all the saints with you or with him. Which means that the Messiah is the Lord God. He's not just a man. And some people think that he's this rabbi or that rabbi. Well, that's blindness on the part of the house of Judah. As God said, he's going to blind them, and the wisdom of their wives shall perish. And so they came up with all these crazy ideas, when God made it very plain through the Scriptures. But they don't believe neither Moses nor the prophets, as they should. They believe some parts, but not others. Especially the one of the prophecies that speak about uh, the Savior, the anointed Savior, the Messiah. The king of Israel, who is the God of Israel, who is the husband of Israel. And that's why he's coming back to them as his wife. And it shall come to pass in verse 6, in that day that there will be there will be no light. The lights will diminish. It shall be one day. In other words, because of all the, uh, the confusion and commotion and all that, and earthquakes and volcanoes and everything else, uh, the atmosphere is not going to be clear, and you're not going to be able to see the sun properly. So it'll be like sort of a continuous... Uh, day, and it shall be one day which is known to the eternal, neither day nor night, but at evening time it shall happen that it will be light, because God is coming. And in that day it shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem, as we read earlier in Ezekiel when the temple is being rebuilt. So now is 
is jumping forward into the time when Israel is back in their land and uh, all of Israel, all the tribes of Israel settled in their land. The temple is built and God, the Messiah, the Savior, the husband of Israel dwells in the midst of his wife, of his people and from under his throne living waters shall flow from Jerusalem. Half, the, half of them toward the eastern sea, that means the, the Dead Sea, and half of them toward the western sea, which is the Mediterranean. And so you find the same story here, which we found in Ezekiel, the coming of uh, the Messiah, the Savior, the God of Israel. And also, as you go forward into the end of the story, because this whole thing is one story, though men divided it, especially the last part of it, they call the New Testament, that was a division that was accomplished by the counterfeit church, not by the word, or not by the people of God, not by the disciples. They haven't done that. They weren't saying, well, we're gonna, are not going to write the New Testament and we're going to separate it from the others. They just continued the, to record the oracles of God. That's all they were doing. And the teachings that God gave them, and that's what the Torah is all about. Teachings, instructions. And so, in the future, when heaven and Jerusalem descends on this earth with the Father and the Lamb dwelling in it. You're going to write, uh, read the same uh, description also where the living waters will come from under the throne of the Father and the Lamb. And you see that it is a continuous story of one nation, one people, one wife of, of the Savior, of Jesus Christ. And not two separate ones, and not two different ones. There is no old church and new church. It's one church being renewed now. Well, the new covenant, and the new covenant will be made with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So when you put it all together, you see it very clearly, and then you can be, you can begin to see all the deception, and the counterfeit teachings that went into it, and the eyes are open to see things properly, because when you study the history of the Church of God, you have to study it from the point of view of God, not the point of view of what men did with it. Total perversion and confusion. And so, it's, this is what, it, what it's going to happen. The water shall go one part into the Dead Sea and heal it, as we read in Ezekiel. And from now on, fishermen will be able to stand in the Dead Sea and, 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 and go fishing. Uh, and then, in the, this is going to happen, as we read here, in the middle of the, the verse, or toward the end of it, of verse 8. Uh, and half of them toward the Western Sea in both, summer and winter it shall occur constant flowing of water and the reason why it says that because in winter there is a lot of water which is natural but in summer everything is dry but here it says all the time there is going to be water and that's a perpetual miracle that God is going to to produce there constantly flowing water and verse 9 and the eternal shall be king over all the earth that's the Messiah there is none else there is no mention here of a Messiah. That's because the Messiah and God are the same person. That's why it says, And the Eternal, the Lord, the Eternal, Jehovah, shall be king over all the earth. You cannot have two kings over all the earth. In other places, like in Daniel, other places, and, and, and uh, Zechariah, as we read earlier, and Micah, speaking about a personality that is a man. And that man is going to be given kingdom a kingdom and glory over all the nations of the earth, and he's going to be the king over all the earth. And you cannot have two people being king over all the earth. There is only one. And this one is the husband of Israel, the Lord, the one that married Israel when he came down 
and the one that came in the flesh many times and had lunch with Abraham and wrestled with Jacob and spoke to his people and then he finally came in the flesh this time he was born as a baby and then uh, was raised among his people and so this is going to happen now where people will understand this is the same person and so the eternal shall be king over all the earth in that day it shall be that the eternal is one and his name one and there aren't going to be anymore the God of Israel and the God of the Jews you know two gods you know there's going to be only one God and that's their Lord and their Savior then later on a thousand years later we read about the Father descending and until that time the Father wasn't having any dealings with the rest of humanity on a personal basis so people didn't know about him so when they thought about one God they didn't realize the context that when God was dealing with them, the one that was sent by the Father, who is also God, he was saying, look, you've got all those idols that you worship, and they are not God. I am the only God on this earth, you know, ruling over you. And that was the context, and this is what the Jews have never understood properly in the past 2,000 years. But they did understand that before that, and that's what the problem is. When their eyes became blinded, as God said, I'm going to blind them, they lost even that knowledge and understanding, which was one of the major ones that was always known, as you can read through the scriptures, Hagar knew about it. And she was not even a great righteous person. And many other people knew about it, that there are two divine beings, and both were called the Lord, or Yehovah, the Eternal, and, and one was sent by the other. So that was not something new that was invented, so-called, in the New Testament, as, as the Jews say. Well, that's ignorance on their part. And their eyes are going to be open, and all will realize who the Messiah is, the King the God of Israel, the husband of Israel, the one that atoned for them. And so this is what God is talking about. And God is going to bring them deliverance. And then he's going to bring a destruction on the enemies, as we read in verse 12. And this shall be the plague with which... Uh, well, let's, let's continue to read, actually. In verse uh, 11, the people shall dwell in it, speaking about the people of Jerusalem... As we read in Ezekiel, the representatives of all the tribes of Israel, they're going to dwell in that city because they are, going, they are the teachers, in essence, the board of education, you know, the school system for all of humanity, for they will all come over there to learn of the word of God. That's the reason for them being there. And God wanted representatives of all the tribes of Israel because that's what the position of Israel was to be from the beginning, to be the mother of all nations. Mother in the sense of giving them the food and the, the instructions, so they too can be born into the family of God. First physically by becoming disciples of God, and then later on spiritually, be, you know, receiving a spirit body like all the rest of, him, uh, of the children of Israel. And so in verse 11, the people shall dwell in it, and no longer shall there be utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. And this is not going to come about as a result of peace plans and peace negotiations and dividing East Jerusalem and West Jerusalem, you know, one half for the Israeli and one half for the Palestinians and all that. Now, there isn't going to be any of that. God is going to totally destroy everyone that is not an Israelite who insists that he wants to stay there, that it belongs to him. Because God is the God of Israel and he's not the God of Palestine. And that's all there is to it. And his wife is Israel, and his wife is not Palestine or any other nation of the, of the face of the earth. 
And none of them is going to, you know, uh, argue with God anymore at that time. So the people of Jerusalem don't need to worry about it. They're not going to lose the city. But initially, there, there will be captivity and a temporary loss of it, but not on a permanent basis. And so verse 12, this is God, how God is going to deal with, with uh, those rebel rousers, so to speak, who come to fight against his will and against him and against his people. Verse 12, and this shall be the plague with which the eternal, it's not armed weapons are going to do it, a nuclear weapon. God is going to do it, the Messiah of Israel, the husband of Israel. So this shall be the plague with which the eternal will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. You know, the ones that took Israel and uh, the Jews are into captivity. God is going to bring this destruction on them. He says, their flesh shall dissolve, dissolve while they stand on their feet. You know, just like the, the nuclear bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, that's what happened to them. So God is going to zap them, you know, you know as, as we say in, in the vernacular in English. And their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets, and their tongues shall dissolve in their mouth. It's going to burn them, you know, pel uh, pulverize them, and there will be no more. Verse 13, it shall come to pass in that day that a great panic from the eternal will be among them. Everyone will seize the hand of his neighbor and raise his hand against his neighbor's hand. God is going to confuse their brains, you know, scramble their brains and start, you know, start fighting each other. Then you read in verse 14, those of the Jews who remain there, this is what they're going to do. Verse 14, and Judah also will fight at Jerusalem. Because not all of them are going to, not all of them are going to be taken into captivity. And so now when they see the Messiah, they realize who he is, he's going to reveal himself to them, as we read in chapter 12, that you are going to be brave again and fight their enemies. Because for a while they're going to be in captivity. And so Judah also will fight at Jerusalem. That's the reason why they are there and God brought them there. It's not like some people in their ignorance and blindness and bigotry and hypocrisy against the people of Judah because they are anti-Semites. I'm talking about people who are the children of Israel who didn't know any better as they should. They said, well, just a bunch of Zionists went back to the land of Israel and uh, to the land of, uh, of Palestine and established it and called it Israel. They have no business being called Israel. So God is going to remove that animosity and that ugly spirit that is still there, unfortunately, uh, called anti-Semitism, and uh, uh, tragically, in the heart of many of the children of Israel against their people, their brethren in Judah. I'm not uh, going to be united now, no more, divided. And so in verse 14, Judah also will fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the surrounding nations, all the Arab nations, all the money they got from the oil and everything else, and all the gold and silver and all the riches they have. This is what's going to happen. And the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be gathered together, gold, silver, and apparel in great abundance. Because many of them are going to be around Jerusalem there to fight, as they would think, you know, the, 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 the Jewish Messiah. Or, you know, super deliverer, whatever, you know, they wouldn't know what they're fighting. Verse 15, such also shall be the plague on the horse and the mule, on the camel and the donkey. Now, this is an, an old terminology, obviously, uh, because in those days when the prophecy was given, they didn't know anything about trucks and armored vehicles and tanks. So this is the language that was used at the time. In other words, everything that the armies will bring with them is a mode of transportation. 
and such also shall be the plague on all on the horse and the mule and on the camel and the donkey and all the cattle that will be in those camps so shall this plague be and uh, a lot of these animals are still in existence today so they too will be used because after all it's going to be a small place you can you can bring uh, a lot of uh, modern uh, equipment of transportation so many of the Arab around Arab nations they will come also with these animals so that's uh, referring to them too verse 16 and it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king the eternal lord of hosts and to keep the feast of tabernacles which people call today call Jewish and it's not Jewish God says these are the feasts of the eternal of Jehovah in Leviticus 23 verse 1 a Jewish feast not the feast of Israel and they didn't invent them God did and so the whole world is going to worship God the way he told his people Israel to worship him and there is nothing Jewish about it this is all of God God is the one that is calling the shots and the whole world is going to worship this religion so that immediately exposes any religion that does not keep this holiday or all the other holidays that God is going to make them keep as a false religion and God makes it very plain so immediately you know who is a true church who is a wife of God and who is not and verse 17 and it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth all of them God is not going to tolerate any other false religion anymore of the families of the earth that do not come to Jerusalem to worship the king you know, the Messiah of Israel the God of Israel the husband of Israel that's his wife there's none else and some of them as I mentioned before are going to be spiritual some people have a difficult time understanding that and then and all that they do because they're not thinking as they should properly after all every single one of us that God called and gave the Holy Spirit are we all spiritual of course not we still have our carnality so we're both at the same time spiritual and carnal as the Apostle Paul made it very plain the law is spiritual we are not the law is spiritual but we he said, but I am carnal, sold under sin. That's why we continue to sin. So for people think, and will think that the church is a spiritual organism, they don't understand what they're talking about. Because the people that God calls, he gives them the spirit. That doesn't make them spiritual. In the ultimate sense, what it makes them, people who are carnal, who have the spirit, and therefore gradually they should be walking more and more and more in the spirit and less in carnality, but we're still carnal, carnal and will be until the resurrection, until the change comes, when we shall be totally spiritual. So it shouldn't be difficult to understand how the body of Christ, how the church of God can be both at the same time physical and spiritual. And so it happens in both levels. Well, the people that God calls and gives the Spirit, they still are physical, they're still carnal, but the Spirit is in them, and as they're growing in grace and, 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 uh, and truth and light and knowledge and understanding and walk in the Spirit, and they become more and more spiritual, that means they walk in the Spirit, that's what it means, not that they become spirit beings. And then uh, gradually they come to the point where they totally think spiritual, and that that's going to happen only in the resurrection. Until that time, was still carnal to a large degree, and also spiritual. And so, within the body of 
of, of God within the church of God, we have also the same configuration there, where God calls some who are spiritual, in other words, they receive the Holy Spirit, they walk in it, and they are totally spiritual, you know, you find a man like King David, a prophet of God, uh, one according to the, the, the heart of God, who loves God with all of his being and heart, and yet he commits adultery and, and murders. And so that shows you that uh, what Paul says is exactly what is, that the law is spiritual, but David was carnal, and Paul was carnal, sold under sin. And all of us are carnal, sold under sin. And we shouldn't, you know, uh, deceive ourselves to think, no, we are all spiritual. There is no such a thing. We have the Spirit in us, but to the degree that we walk in the Spirit, we are spiritual. That's all it means. And so the body of Christ was always made, and the people of God and the church of God was always made of both spiritual people and physical people, just like we ourselves are spiritual and physical at the same time. So it shouldn't be that difficult to understand it. It's just that we have not been taught properly, and so we need to reorient our thinking and perception and understanding of what it all means. And uh, even within the body of Christ, the church of God, you know, we God calls some of us, but uh, the mates may not be converted, and the children are not converted, yet they are being sanctified, and they are also part of the church because of that, part of the body, but they are still uh, without even the Holy Spirit. And yet we do not say, well, you are not part of the church of God. Of course they are. And so it was from uh, the beginning, from Sinai, and uh, before that. You know, in Sinai, Moses was spiritual in the sense of having the spirit, and Aaron and the, uh, the seventy elders to whom God gave the spirit, but the rest were as carnal as they can be. So you have that constant uh, reality. Both carnality and spirituality exist side by side, even within one person that is being called by God and has the spirit of God like Paul or David or anybody else. So let's understand it. And uh, we continue uh, in verse uh, 17. Again, as we read it again, and, and it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, they're going to worship him according to his way, his religion, not Judaism or Christianity or Muslim or Buddhism or anything else, but his way, the pure religion that he gave to the fathers, not the one that became altered and perverted and, and twisted, by both houses of Israel and by other nations who knew even much less. And so, we're going to worship God His way, the pure religion that God gave us, that you can read in the Bible and not in the writings of men, which they claim to come to from God. And so, that says the people that were not going to do it, any of the family that is not going to worship the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. Well, you have no rain. You have no food. You have no food, you die. So, you know, you don't argue too, too, far, you know, too much with God when you're in that state. And they will know that God is withholding the rain. And verse 18, is the family of Egypt, God gives us an example about a nation that is going to be rebellious because for many centuries it was in a false religion, which they think is a true religion, has a false messiah, which they think is a true messiah. And of course, you know, if you hear it today, you know, they'll kill you for it. But God says it's going to show them. You know, that's the greatest nation in the Middle East of uh, the Muslim nations, Egypt. And so the family of Egypt will not come up and enter in. They shall have no rain. And they shall receive the plague on top of that, which the Lord will strike the nations who do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So you're not going to find, you know, people uh, who call themselves Muslims and having another religion 
and having their own holidays and all whatever, they're all going to worship God according to his word which he gave to the fathers, to his wife in Sinai. And it's not going to be that they're going to keep the Jewish feast or the Jewish Sabbath or the Jewish, you know, Yom Kippur or Feast of Tabernacle or whatever or Sukkot or Rosh Hashanah. They're going to keep the feast of the eternal. And they would know that he's the one speaking. Verse 19, this shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not come to keep the feast of Sukkot. And God makes it very plain and repeats it several times so everybody gets the point. Three times. Verse 16 and verse uh, 19 and twice. And then in verse 18 also. Three times he mentions that. And that makes it very complete. And in verse 20, in that day, holiness to the eternal, that is holiness to Jehovah, shall be engraved on the bells of the horses, uh, uh, the parts in the Lord's house, shall be like the, the bowls before the altar. In other words, when God gave the instructions about the altar in Exodus, you read in Exodus 28, verses 31 to 36, he told them to write on those uh, items, holiness to the Lord. So this is going to be exactly the same. Because whatever was in the tabernacle, in the wilderness, and then later on transferred into the temple, is again going to be there. And all those things are going to be for the sacrificial uh, rituals that people think with great contempt, well, that's old stuff, all done away with. Paul never taught that. And so we read now in uh, verse 21, Yes, every part in Jerusalem and Judah... God makes a point here, Jerusalem and Judah, because Judah is going to be right nearby there, uh, near Jerusalem. If you uh, go through the configuration of the tribes of Israel and their placement in the future, uh, Jerusalem will be next to, uh, that is, uh, well, the portion of the, of the city where all the tribes of Israel are going to dwell in, and the center will be the city, Jerusalem, and Judah, the tribe of Judah will be right next to it, while on the other side, where the portion of the priests will be and the temple in it, on that side Benjamin will be, which is toward the north, and Judah will be toward the south, and that's where Jerusalem will be. The two will be divided. In other words, the temple is not going to be in the city, because God is going to dwell, the Lord, the Savior, the Maker, the Ruler, the Husband of Israel, is going to dwell in the temple, not in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, the tribes of Israel will be, and all the nations of the earth will be allowed into the city, but not into the temple, because that's only for the wife of God, for the children of Israel. And so it is on the other side. So it's going to be different than it has been all this time. Many people don't realize that. And so it says, yes, every part in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holiness to the eternal of hosts. Everyone who sacrifices shall come and take them and cook in them. And how many times did you hear from the counterfeit church which teaching has been uh, adopted by those who were called out of that? Well, they say, well, there aren't going to be any sacrifices all done away with. Paul taught that. Paul never taught that. People did not understand what Paul was talking about. Paul was talking about the fact that before that, the only way we could be uh, forgiven by God is by offering a sacrifice. Now we have no need to do it anymore. We can go directly through Christ. But he didn't say the sacrifice is done and well with, because neither him nor all the, the apostles ever stopped offering sacrifices. And Paul himself, to the end of his ministry, as he came to Jerusalem, that's exactly what he did. 
He brought an offering to the temple and he offered a sacrifice and he brought it before the priests because there were still the representatives of God regardless of the fact that God was now working with a group of people and to, whom, to them he gave the spirit. But he wasn't starting a new church with a new doctrine, with a new religion, with a totally separate everything. That was the understanding of the counterfeit church or the misunderstanding. But the disciples never taught that, never believed that, never understood it to be that way. That's why they would never, among other things, they would never take tithes from the brethren because they knew that belonged still to the priests. And always did. What they asked for is offerings. And that's what God and what's what Jesus Christ ordained, that those who preach the gospel should leave off the gospel. But that's not talking about the tithe. And yet those who are covetous, who want it to themselves, they teach one doctrine that is applicable to the priesthood, uh, to the, you know, for themselves, so they can get it. God never taught that. New Testament never teaches any of that. That is the one that is called the New Testament. You never see that there. Anyway, that's a different point. And so everyone who sacrifices shall come and take them and cook in them. In that day there shall no longer be a Canaanite. Now a lot of those Palestinians, they're going back to their roots and say, well, we were here before you because our fathers were the Canaanites. Well, God makes very plain. You know, you're a Canaanite, get out of here. You don't belong here. And don't say, that, you know, Jerusalem is your capital. And then I'm going to argue with their God anymore at the time. And so God makes it very plain. In that day there shall no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Eternal of hosts. And his house is the entirety of the land of Israel. Not only in Jerusalem. And yet, half of Jerusalem, or at least eastern Jerusalem, is populated by the Arabs and the Colombians there. And the Canaanites, many of them, they are all Canaanites. You find uh, different nationalities there. You find people from Africa, Ethiopians, and uh, you find a Greek community there that came from Greece a long time ago, and they all speak Arabic, but, you know, there are Greeks, you know, the Greek quarters, and you have the Coptic quarters, and you have the, the Jewish quarter, and you have the Muslim quarter, and all the confusion in, uh, that earned the name, uh, you know, Jerusalem being like Sodom and Egypt, spiritually speaking. Not because the Jews are all evil, and uh, the religion is evil, as some people, uh, because of their you know, anti-Semitic undercurrent, even though they call themselves the people of God, uh, they say that. Not at all. It's because the city is filled with all these religions on the face of the earth. That's what makes it Sodom and Gomorrah, spiritually speaking, with Sodom and Egypt. And God says, no more of all that. And so we have reached the end of the, the book of Zechariah. Now, this is, in essence, the closure of the, of the entirety of the, of the story here, but at least only in this book. That's not the end, because God constantly repeats the same theme in every book, in so many ways. And as you go to the the writings of the, the disciples, beginning with the Gospels, you read exactly the same, a constant repetition. It's all one book, one story, one people, of one God, of one wife, of one church. There are no two of them. That was an invention of the country for church, and God tells us, you better come out of Babylon, this confusion, because that's not of me. And so now we go to the book of Malachi, the last one in uh, the last of the prophets. Uh, and we read in verse 1, the burden, or the... the the oracle, that is the word of God, the oracle of the word of God, uh, of, the, of the eternal, that is the Lord, the Jehovah, to Israel, to all of them. Mind you, the house of Israel is gone now, but now God is speaking to all of them, because that's his wife, that's his church. To Malachi, verse 3 says, I have loved you, says Jehovah, or says the Lord, or the eternal. Well, the Lord is not the correct one, but this is what we use in English. 
uh, always when you see the Lord, it's Jehovah, or the Eternal, if you want to say it in English. Lord is not correct. Lord is Adon. And that's unfortunately the perversion. And one thing that God tells Israel, and in uh, Hosea, I believe, he says, the time will come when you are not going to call me Lord anymore, because Lord and Baal are the same word, which means master. Uh, and the uh, husband also, uh, the word husband is also Lord, in Hebrew, Baal, uh, master. And so they aren't going to call me Lord anymore. It's everybody's saying, know the Lord, you believe in the Lord, give your heart to the Lord, and so forth. And it says, you're going to call me from that, or, uh, that time on Ishi, my man, my husband, different name. In other words, you hear too much of this, Lord, 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 he's sick and tired of it, he doesn't want to hear it anymore. And so it says, yet you say, in other words, God says to them, I have loved you, says the Eternal, yet you say, in what way have we, have you loved us? In other words, they don't even recognize his love toward them. And God answers, was not Esau Jacob's brother? I mean, they were twin brothers, says the Eternal, yet Jacob I have loved, and Esau I have hated. Some people like to apologize for God and say, no, 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 he really doesn't mean that. He just, I love less. No, he says, I hated Esau. This is what the word of the eternal said from his mouth. And let's know, uh, we shouldn't be perverting his word and apologizing for it and, you know, insert our own righteousness into it. God hates evil. And Esau symbolizes to him evil. God hates sin. God doesn't love less sin. God hates sin. And that's what he's talking about. And let's understand it from God's point of view. People always like to apologize for God and twist his words to fit their own concept and ideas. And God says, look, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And so forth. So, let's not get mixed up there. And we must look at all things from God's point of view. And our emotions and feelings are neither here nor there. And too many people judge God, study the word of God, the mind of God, and everything else from their point of view. And God says, forget it. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. So, we are the ones who have to be reoriented, not God. And people always are in the habit of saying, well, I cannot see God do that. Well, what you see is neither here nor there. What I see is neither here nor there. My emotions are neither here nor there. My words, my, my teachings, or anybody's teachings... What God teaches is all that counts, and that's all that counts. And until next time, this is again Mordecai Joseph saying greetings to all of God. The preceding message was taken from the World Wide website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions? The Bible has answers.